Hello, my name is Rebecca May Johnson. I'm a writer and cook, and this is my Substack. This week's newsletter is about scraps, edible and visible. There are recipes for rhubarb with star anise and hot potatoes with mushroom, cheese and cream sauce, as well as my eating notes from the week. Gathering scraps. Some weeks are made up of scraps of thinking and scraps of cooking, almost cooking and not cooking. This was such a week. I wanted to cook a nice meal for my friend on Tuesday, but I overexerted myself following the trails of couch grass roots for five hours on the allotment. Sam noted my crashing energy, told me to sit on the sofa and offered to cook my planned meal instead. Barnsley chops, salsa verde, mushy broccoli with olive oil and boiled potatoes with mint. I used the scraps of energy that remained to chat while Sam made the dishes, very deliciously, and I was glad to be sitting down. The best meal I cooked was prepared quickly from various ends of cheese melted into cream served with boiled potatoes after getting home late. It was hot and savoury and scooped us up in its arms. My notebook is filled with snippets of information, making more of a collage than a narrative. This week I offer a meal of scraps, gathered from what I have heard and seen. Though it is often when rootling around in scraps, leftovers and snatched morsels that beginnings emerge. Revival comes from what appears at first to be an ending. I can hear bell ringing practice at six minutes past eight on Wednesday evening. A few weeks ago, I listened to a dramatisation of Dorothy L. Sayers' 1934 detective story, The Nine Tailors, with Lord Peter Whimsey, set in the eerie Cambridgeshire Fens. Bells and bell ringing, campanology, feature significantly in the story. Whimsy remarks that bell ringing practice in rural parishes has always taken place on a Wednesday evening. Almost a hundred years after his reflection on the duration of this ritual, and it is still so, at least where I live, it felt good to hear the peal return after a long period during which the bells were silent. On Friday, I overheard a man at the charity shop Till saying, It's not an easy place to live here. No, it's not an easy place to live. When I was in the forces in Afghanistan, that was easier than here. You can live here for 15 years and people won't accept you. I know someone who was born here and they're still not accepted. The cloth and haberdashery shop have changed their window to a new colour-coordinated display. I went into the shop and told the two women sitting behind the counter that I could not sew, but that I loved their window displays. I have taken to photographing them. On the allotment, bees, several types. A very short-haired bee resting in the lock of the shed. Long and fluffy, sleeping on a wallflower. Petite and with a long thin nose getting right in there.
small and loudly buzzing madly. Medium fluffy, going into a daffodil. A peacock butterfly on the wallflowers, twice in a week. Big forget-me-not eyes on its wings and blazing orange tiger stripes. I have not seen them here before. Hundreds and hundreds of snails taking shelter and staying damp under the weed-covering plastic that I bought from the council, protecting themselves from drying out in the sun. I look in vain for slow worms under the plastic, thinking what a feast the slugs and snails would be for them. Perhaps they're in the compost heap. It was my first week exerting myself physically after covid My legs were a little shaky in between jumping on my fork to break into the earth, and I needed to sit down often while weeding. It was divine to sit among the weeds in the spring sun and listen to the birds. A man who I don't often see approached me with some raspberry canes potted up in cut-down plastic bottles. He offered them to me. I said no, but felt bad refusing his gift because I did not know him well, and this seemed like an opening, an introduction through raspberry canes. Last week I had said no to my neighbour's most recent offer. He asks every year, and I would have felt bad accepting canes from someone else in case he noticed. My neighbour arrives, looking tired and sadder than when I saw him last week. He put on a sun hat and sunglasses. I have neither. He always wears clothes and shoes exactly appropriate to the weather. We begin talking about onions, which I say I have been planting. He says, you know crop rotation? I say, yes, that being perhaps the only subject that stayed with me from high school geography classes. Then he says, well, N, another allotment holder, says that when you find a good place for onions without white rot... Stick with it. Don't move them. Don't do crop rotation with onions here. I reflect that ornamental allium flowers have at least done well on my plot and they are in the onion family, so I have hope my onions might survive. When I was weeding to make space for planting onions, I found a lot of tiny parsnips among the grass and one that had grown like a pair of provocatively strutting legs. I certainly did not plant them as I dislike plant parsnips. Nearby, I found a half-buried label for parsnip seeds, which must have been dropped last year by another passing allotment holder. I love the long, deep time of the allotment. Things that appear or reappear after I have forgotten or not even witnessed their planting. Solitary lettuces arrive a year after my neighbours have set seed. And even if I turn down offers of raspberry plants, suckers that have made the long journey underneath the grass path come up for air along the edges of my plot. I am allowing them to become part of a fledgling hedge. As I was leaving the plot, my neighbour offered me a lettuce. He grows soft lettuces of the kind I like. These were planted in September, he tells me. After he picked it, I said, great, thank you. And he said, 
No, I will clean it first, and painstakingly removed the muddy root and trimmed off damaged outer leaves, as if he were preparing a flower to put in a vase, finally giving me a most exquisite lettuce. I said, I will be able to give you tulips soon. And he said, You don't have to give me tulips because I gave you a lettuce. Wouldn't you like to look at them where they are? Rhubarb The first of the rhubarb from the allotment this year. I love rhubarb cooked with star anise and even better with strawberries added too. I first had these flavours together in 2013 at a now defunct cafe in Stoke Newington called Fred and Fran. The site has since become the also excellent Esther's. I only went there once, but this combination, presented in a large communal pot of homemade jam to eat with toast, made a lasting impression. No strawberries yet, but the star anise is also great just with rhubarb. And I use orange too to add a good equivalent fragrant acidity. The morning after a fairly merry evening, when our friend Sophie was visiting, I brought up trays with coffee in small bowls with thick Greek yoghurt and rhubarb for everyone to have in bed. Ingredients Seven or eight rhubarb stems The juice of one orange and two pieces of its peeled rind Four to five tablespoons of sugar Adjust to the taste and size of the rhubarb stems Begin with less if in doubt and add more later One star anise one teaspoon of powdered cinnamon. How to make. Put the rhubarb, sugar, spices and orange rind in a saucepan. Put a sieve over the pan, cut the orange in half and squeeze in all of its juice. The sieve will catch the pips. Simmer on a low heat until all of the rhubarb is soft and mostly collapsed. Taste for sweetness and add more sugar if desired. We'll keep in the fridge, covered, to have with yoghurt for a few days. Got home late hot salad potatoes with mushroom cheese cream sauce. Sam and I had unexpectedly long days on Saturday and returned home late, separately and hungry. I got back first and overcame my initial thought of takeaway, as I knew we were going to eat out the next day, and found inspiration in a bag of salad potatoes. I put them on to boil and then thought happily about the pot of cream and ends of cheese in the fridge. I always like to have a pot of cream in the fridge. It lasts for ages if the lid is kept on. And a few tablespoons of cream often provide me with the answer for how to bring a few disparate ingredients together into a fine dish. The mushrooms gave depth and body to this sauce. The spring onions gave it sweetness and an addictive tang. We didn't eat all of the boiled potatoes and the leftovers will be fried up to eat with eggs on another day. Ingredients 250 grams of chestnut mushrooms, sliced thinly. 750 grams of salad potatoes. 75 mils of double cream. 50 grams of unsalted butter. 
a generous collection of ends of cheeses. I had blue cheese, some cheddar and emmental, around 150 grams in all. Add more or less to alter the cheesiness to your taste. Four spring onions, whites and greens finely sliced and kept separate. Two tablespoons of vegetable oil. 100 mils of water in a recently boiled kettle. How to make. Put the potatoes in a pan of cold water with a tablespoon of salt and put on the heat. Cook them until they are tender all the way through. Check with a knife. Meanwhile, make the mushroom sauce. Put the vegetable oil in a large frying pan on the heat. When it is hot and almost smoking, add the mushrooms with a pinch of salt and grind of pepper. Allow them to sizzle for a moment, then stir them for a minute on a medium heat. Then add the spring onion whites. Keep stirring every now and again until the mushrooms are reduced in volume by half. Then turn the heat down and add the butter and allow it to melt. Then stir in the cheeses, cut up into small bits, and then the cream. Put on a low heat. Stir the cheese, stir as the cheese melts into the cream and allow it to bubble for a few minutes while you keep stirring gently. Add a dash of water from the kettle, not all of it, to loosen if it gets too thick or begins to catch. I did this. Taste for seasoning and cheesiness and add more salt or cheese if you'd like more. When the potatoes are ready, put them on a plate and spoon over the mushroom cheese sauce. Eat. Would be great served with a green salad if you have a lettuce. Eating notes. Under a photograph of pickles that I made, including cubed fermented daikon pickles, an online friend, Shine Park, alias Carrot Tate, wrote, Wow, wow, those square daikon kimchi are very good in small cubes for making fried rice, with its own juice and hand-crushed nori. Yum! I followed her instructions, and we were obsessed. A new favourite dish. The spicy, garlicky, gingery fermented daikon radish juice seasoned the rice beautifully and the seaweed added more savoury depth. I ate it with avocado on the side with soy sauce and sesame, and after a bit added some QP mayonnaise on the rice for fun. Sam had a fried egg too. Putting on our own pizza toppings was amongst the first cooking we did as children. It was the late 90s, and the large Tesco supermarket nearby sold soft dairy pizza bases with tomato sauce on. We could test out combinations of ingredients and see what happened when they cooked. Shrinkage, crisping, intensifying, emitting water or oil. I felt the ghost of that childhood activity this week when I added toppings to Crosta in Molica pizza bases I bought from our local Morrison supermarket. I made one with sliced mushrooms, ham and mozzarella. When I put the pizza in the oven, it seemed like I had far too many mushrooms, but they reduced significantly in size and were sliced thinly enough that they intensified in flavour. On the other, I did not use mozzarella, but cooked the plain tomato base, then halfway through cooking, put on chicoria that I'd wilted with olive oil, chilli and garlic, 
and when it was out of the oven, added shavings of parmesan, which mitigated the bitterness. Two boiled eggs and toast eaten from egg cups with butter, and for the second egg, harissa spread on toast. And finally, hot cross buns, toasted and spread with butter and my mother's marmalade. Thanks for listening.